Good to see you this morning. I'm Ed Stetzer, and we're going to be continuing our trek through Matthew today, and we'll jump right into there in Matthew chapter 8. If you take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 8, uh, we'll get started in just a second. Two quick things. One, um, I, uh, I may be moving a little slower than normal today. I, I have actually uh, I pulled a muscle, injured my back, and having a hard time and starting physical therapy probably tomorrow. My doctor said the last thing I should do is publicly speak, and so what are you going to do? Um, so, but I'm here, but I knew the last time that Pastor Lutzer preached here, he actually preached and went right to the hospital. So I'm thinking the gauntlet is thrown down. I'm here today, right now. So we can do that. Matter of fact, Pastor Lutzer, he's somewhere around here. Where did he go? Where is he? There he is right there. We stand up so we can say we're thankful for you, as always. Our pastor, our pastor emeritus here uh, at Moody Church. So appreciative of him. Uh, let me also mention too that uh, I am on drugs, and so anything I say, uh, anything I say should not be remembered because I won't remember it. And I just want you to know, we will see if this video makes it to the internet. But anyway, um, so, so the next time I preach here will actually be my second anniversary here at Moody Church, so that'll be fun. Um, well, thank you. Um, Bill will preach here next week, and then I'll be back on September 9th. Uh, but after that, we're gonna, there are going to be some changes, and so let me, let me share just a bit. I, I won't be back for a while after September 9th. Um, I'll actually, I will be back, I'll come back in December, uh, but uh, I'm actually doing something that I committed to a long time ago. We didn't expect the interim to be as long as maybe it's been. Uh, I'll actually be doing a, a book tour at some churches that I committed to do uh, a while back. So I won't be here from September 9th until until December, the elders asked, and I've agreed to that I'll continue and I'll preach back in December. Uh, and, but, and also, too, with that kind of transition, uh, next Sunday will be our last week in Matthew as well, and the fall series will actually be in the book of Acts. We're excited about moving to the book of Acts, and it'll be a great fall, and, uh, and it'll be a good time. We'll be hearing from, from, our, uh, from our pastors here, very excited about that, and then I'll look forward to, uh, of course, I'll be here in two weeks, and then be back again uh, in December. So looking forward to that. So if you have your Bibles, let's jump right into our text, right? We've got stuff to cover. Uh, Matthew chapter 8 is going to be our, uh, our, our study today. We're going to be talking specifically about the mount, the margins, and the miracle. We're going to be talking about the mount, the margins, and the miracle. And, and, and this is not, uh, we're not in a series of random miracle stories, right? Uh, because what we've seen, we've seen this leper healed. We know next week Peter's mother-in-law is going to be healed. And in the middle of this comes this, this well, another miracle story. So, so, but Matthew doesn't put... Um, miracle stories randomly together. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and in the inerrant Word of God. He's teaching us something even through the placement of these very true, very real happenings. Now, why does this matter? Because we've got to understand a few things about a gospel. We've said this a lot as we've gone through the gospel of Matthew, that a gospel is about somebody, for somebody, and by somebody, right? So the gospel is about Jesus. This is a description of who Jesus is. It's written, though, for the Jewish people. Yes, last week, I think I, I, we gave away uh, Pastor Lutzer's new book to the person who knew the answer to that question. And so, so it's written uh, to the Jews, and it's written by Matthew. Now, Matthew's got a whole backstory that sometimes we can, well, we can, we can glimpse a little bit of it when we see Matthew talk about the Romans, who, remember, he was a tax collector, so a collaborator with them, or to Jews who, who needed to know more of grace because he was a Jew who would experience grace. Now, what we're going to look at today is that how Jesus 
has all authority, and He calls us to show and to have great faith in Him because He has all authority. Now, this, this passage is about authority and faith, and we're going to look at these issues of authority and faith. Now, if you remember, though, we're in a series of miracle stories. If this is maybe your first time or you missed the last few weeks, remember, you can always go to moodychurch.org, and I encourage you to do so and kind of see how we launched this mini-series, The Gospel to the Outcast, how we launched this last week, right? So we started last week by talking about, well, there's this unclean man. He, he was a leper, and the last thing he was supposed to be doing was showing up in crowds of people. But he comes before Jesus, and Jesus heals him. He heals the unclean man, right? He's unclean uh, physically. He's unclean because of his disease. Well, here we come to an unclean ethnicity. Now, we don't tend to think of things that way immediately. We find that uh, perhaps racist, I hope. Um, and, and, and yet sometimes we find that there are certain groups of people that maybe we do avoid because of uh, well, whatever reason in our, we're, in our head we think that, well, they might have some sort of uncleanliness. But what I want us to see here, number one on our outline, is there's an unclean ethnicity in this story that Matthew has intentionally placed here in a series of three, three miracle stories where Jesus goes to the outcast. Let's take a look. It says this in the text. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, this is Jesus, a centurion. Now, a centurion would rule a troop of a hundred. It's kind of not, wasn't always a hundred, but, but, but was a Roman, right? So this is a Roman, so he's not a Jew. Let's start there. He's, a, he's, he's in Capernaum, right? A centurion who's not a Jew. Jews wouldn't be serving as centurions in the Roman army, but he's also, um, he's also in the Roman army. So not only is he as an unclean Gentile, Remember, the people of God were set apart in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. It lays out that they were set apart. They were to be different. They were a holy people, a holy nation. The others were Gentiles, right? So this person was not only a Roman, but he was part of an occupying army. I mean, don't miss that, right? He's a centurion of the army that is occupying, well, the land that God gave the people of Israel. So the centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord. Now, don't miss that he starts with the word Lord, beginning by saying who he believes and how he trusts and the authority that he assumes and knows that Jesus has. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So, so now, now, he didn't bring the servant here. Remember, I mean, we could do that because the leper just showed up and like, behold, a leper, which is not a phrase you should be saying in the first century, behold, a leper. Right? We talked about that last week. And, but then Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, a couple of things we know about Jesus, right? We know, in just a minute we know, he doesn't have to go there to heal the servant. Jesus can, from wherever he is, heal or do whatever he wants. So, but Jesus is going to be making a point. Matthew is going to record this in a series of three miracle stories so that we get the point that Jesus is making. So this is a Gentile, not a Jew, right? He sees this man, Jesus sees this man right after healing the leper, another unclean man. This, is, this centurion is a soldier of an occupying power that's oppressing the Jewish people, right? He's a leader that's dedicated to the Romans, and the Romans worship false gods, Yet Jesus has compassion on this man and this man's service. So Jesus is willing to heal his servant. He's, he's saying to us, listen, I just came down. I gave the Sermon on the Mount. 
I gave the Sermon on the Mount to the followers who would follow me. The, the Jewish people listened on from the outside, but from the Mount, I went to the margins. I went to Jesus, went to the outcast. This is, this is really a super important story for sometimes reasons that wouldn't even seem obvious, right? So if you look at the Bible, you'll notice that um, Mark has uh, all, so many stories in Mark that are contained in Matthew and in Luke. That's pretty much the, 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 the kind of the chronological account that Matthew and Luke wrote uh, seems to be have come from, and they used some of what Mark had written. Mark was the earliest, and all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all in the inerrant Word of God. But this story is actually not in Mark, and it seems to instead come from, there was a, maybe a list of sayings that people use, the Sermon on the Mount and different things that they use. This, this example is, is not in Mark. One of the few things where, because Mark tells us all the geographic and all the, all the details, this is not, this is so important, right, that, that Matthew knows this needs to be clearly included in the Word of God as the Holy Spirit inspires him. So he tells this. There are thousands of things they could have told, but he tells this story because this story says a lot. Let's, let's take a look at why this will matter because we don't, I mean, they don't really know this at the time when they're seeing all this, but, but we know that Galatians 3.27 will come. When he, and it says in Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. So when we talk about being Jew nor Greek, Greek is often a generic term because the whole empire, the whole world had been at that time Hellenized or made kind of Greek-ish. And so what, what we're finding is a world's coming and a Savior's coming to make it so that centurions and ultimately members of Caesar's own household would be followers of Jesus. And Jesus comes from the mount to the margins. He goes to the outcast, to the, to the Gentiles, to the Roman, to the occupier. Why? Because what we find is this in Ephesians 2.14. It says, for he himself is our peace. He has broken down, right? He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall. Between what? Between Jew and Gentile. So there's something going on here that Jesus is in a sense in a sense saying, look at what I'm doing. I just gave the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of kingdom living, the most important sermon preached by the most important preacher who ever walked the earth. And from there, I go to a leper that you would banish to a colony, and I go to a Roman that you would be shocked that I would hear his plea. That's what Jesus does. Jesus goes to people that we might not pick. And aren't you glad that's the case? Because, man… I'm so thankful he came and got me. See, now the reality is, is that we often think of ourselves, and I, when, I, when I look at this passage, I, I think of myself, and I grew up in, a, in, a, in, a, in an Irish Catholic household outside of New York City. Really, the Catholic church was the church we didn't go to on Sundays. They didn't have any, any religious engagement. I, I went to church on maybe Christmas and Easter. I, I didn't know enough about it. We didn't have money to buy new clothes, so I just knew I wore the same clothes, and they got taller and taller on my legs. I had high water pants, they called them when I was a kid. And I knew I came home and there was a lot of traffic and I knew my dad used a lot of profanity trying to get out of the church parking lot on Christmas and Easter. So in my mind, profanity and tight clothing basically summarized the, the religious holidays. And so my family, my dad loses his job, can't find work. New York City's kind of going bankrupt. We move, we start over down in Florida. And can I just tell you, when you grew up outside of New York City, you got an accent like this, you're talking around, everyone like talking like this, and 
And the words that you use at home, you find out later, most people don't consider polite words. <laughs> Soon the kids couldn't play with me, and, and, uh, and I, was, I was just a kid. I was in the youth group, and they would be nice to me. My mother made me go to this youth group meeting, but the neighbors said, because you, you cuss. They said, you cuss. I had to find out cuss meant, meant swearing is what it meant where I came from. And, and the words that my dad used every day, turns out, were swear words. And I was using them, and soon, man, nobody wanted to hang around with me. And I was kind of starting over in a new school and a new life, and my mother was actually a relatively new Christian. And she forced me to go to this camp, and while I was there, I heard the gospel. As a matter of fact, I remember very clearly what they said. Jesus wants to take your life and in exchange give you his. Now, I don't know all the ramifications of it. I don't know all else that they said. All I knew was that my life had come down, had been torn up. I started over, didn't know where I was, didn't feel of much worth or value, was kind of distanced from others in the community. And on that day, at the end of the Friday night, at the end of the camp, they sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I did. And what I saw in Jesus' eyes was love and, and, and deep care and mercy and grace. And on that night, with tears streaming down my eyes, I trusted Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Because that's the kind of Jesus we have. He comes for centurions who are part of the Roman occupying army who are unclean, and he comes for a punk kid from New York City who doesn't have any friends because he doesn't know how to talk right, and Jesus changes lives. And that's what he does. And though we got to look at faith, though, don't we? Because so much of this passage is about faith. Remember, Jesus has all authority and he calls us to show great faith in him because he has all authority. Watch this, number two in our outline, this unlikely faith, right? So first we looked at an unclean ethnicity, now an unlikely faith. Look at this, how beautiful this is, right? This is not what you expect, right? You're just reading along through Matthew. You kind of get through the Sermon on the Mount. Particularly, remember, Matthew writes this to his Jewish countrymen. If you're a Jewish uh, reader of this passage, just reading along, Sermon on the Mount's really radical ideas about kingdom living. You don't expect this. Matter of fact, if you're there at the Sermon on the Mount, you don't expect this. So then Jesus and the centurion start talking. Let's see what he says. He says, but the centurion replied, Lord, remember Jesus said, I'll come heal him. Jesus said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. Don't miss that. He knew. The centurion knew. All Jesus needs to do is to say the word. So he says again, Lord, humbling himself. Most art that kind of replicates this, shows the centurion on his knees, bowed before him, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. But then look at how he understands the beautiful authority of our King Jesus. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Listen, it's a good day, and you've done well when Jesus marvels. Right? Can you imagine? I was praying, and Jesus marveled at my prayer. I'm like, yes! So Jesus marvels and said, no, no, and said to those who followed him, don't miss this, he's not just talking to the man now. He said to those who follow him, truly, I tell you, 
With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now this is, remember, he just gave the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, there's all of these people following him, people of Israel. His disciples are people of Israel. And he says, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What faith? That he knew that Jesus had all authority. Don't miss that. That's so important. With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and from the west. Oh, this is beautiful, right? He's given them a hint of what's to come. That men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Don't miss this, right? The fact that we're here at Moody Church today with over 70 nationalities represented is hinted in Jesus' very words right there. Don't you thank God that we have a beautiful multicultural church? And if you don't like a multicultural church, you're going to hate heaven. (laughs) But it may not be a problem for you. Truly... Some of you are going to get that when you get home. (laughs) Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such face. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So don't miss this, right? The people of God in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will recline at the table, right? There's this feast, right? Will recline at the table. So people from the east and the west, in other words, people who were not the people of Israel, but have been grafted in by God's good grace, by by the fact that Jesus sees a centurion and says, I'll heal your servant, right? But then he says, some will climb to the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, the language he's using there is actually referring to, to some of the very Jewish people that he just spoke of, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot of significant things going on here, right? The centurion knows more about Jesus, it appears, than sometimes his own disciples, right? He's not scared of Jesus' power, and he believes in Jesus' authority. You see, Jesus has all authority. He calls us to show, to have, to have great faith in him because he has all authority. That's key, right? It's not just having, see, I got to tell you, I, I see some like TV preachers, and they're talking about having faith, and it sounds to me like, like, like they're talking about having faith in faith, it's like if you just conjure up enough positive thinking that you'll, 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 you'll birth into being, you'll manifest. Even heard one preacher say, you'll manifest. You'll manifest what you're believing for. Can I just tell you there's a theological word for that baloney? <laughs> you're not going to manifest anything. You know what you need to do instead is to put great faith in the one who has all authority. Because when you put great faith in him, it's not faith in faith, it's faith in the one who has all authority. The centurion understood the kingdom more than the disciples did. Jesus' authority was greater than the Romans' authority. The centurion saw this, the centurion saw this, he had humility. See, again, when Jesus has the authority, your response is to have humility. What a beautiful picture. I mean, don't miss this, right? Look at, look, at, look at the totality. So many places in Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. When I think of who Jesus is, how do, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm nothing. Now, what I want you to see, actually, it's not what I want you to see. What Matthew wants you to see and what Jesus is making sure you see and the Spirit has put here it, through His inspiration so that you see is that often religious people struggle to understand this kind of grace at times. 
You see, Jesus has all authority, calls us to have faith, have great faith in Him because He has all authority, not faith in faith, not faith in how good we are or how good we've become since we've become Christians, right? The more we acknowledge our need, the more we will experience His grace. Have you noticed that the more godly people get, the more humble they get? You know why? Well, here, here's why. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 3, 34, toward the scorners, he's scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Jesus even mentions the kingdom will be denied to those who are sons of the kingdom. You know why? Because they're proud of who they are. But James 4, 6 says it so clearly, God opposes the proud. He opposes the secular proud, but he opposes the religious proud. He gives grace to the humble. I don't want you to miss this, right? God wants you to be humble, not haughty. But authority is a key word that ties into here. If there's two things I want you to take out of today, it's that Jesus has all authority. He calls us to have great faith in him because he has all authority. Let's, let's go back. We've been going through Matthew for a, a long time. I haven't actually looked. I'm guessing it's been over a year that we've been in Matthew together. And so as we come to the end of the uh, Matthew study. Um, uh, I, I've, I've been blessed and encouraged, and I encourage you to keep reading through Matthew. Maybe, maybe read through the end, read it a few times. Let Matthew soak in. I want you to, I want you to know the Gospel of Matthew so well. You just call him Matt by the time you're done. <laughs> just you're that close. But remember at the beginning of the Matthew when the devil took Jesus up to this high tower and he said, "All this can be yours if you just fall down and worship me." Right? You remember that? See, what was going on there is the devil saying, look, I have authority over the earth. Okay, and so authority is key. So in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, the centurion says something that Jesus wants you to see. This is why it's recorded, the Spirit has recorded it, that there's no one has had this great faith until the centurion. So at the beginning, the devil says, look, I have all authority. Bow down and worship me. The centurion says, no, Lord, calls him Lord, not once, not twice, and says, Lord, you have the authority to do whatever you want. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So don't miss this. A recurring theme throughout Matthew is Jesus' authority. And that authority makes us humble, not haughty. Jesus has all authority and calls us to have great faith in him because he has all authority. And we have faith in him. Did you notice? Did you notice? When Ruth was up here, she quoted a memorized Bible verse. Might I add, at a hundred? You got time to get one memorized. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that wasn't the only one that Ruth has memorized. And, and I'm pretty sure that we, but did you notice that a hundred years young, she came up before us, right? Thank God for the longevity and faithfulness. But you know what she's asked, what about Moody Church? You know what she quoted? She quoted about grace and faith, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. She quoted a verse that calls us to the humility of the centurion and the faith of the centurion. He, she showed us what Jesus taught us and Matthew wrote for us is to show great faith in him because he has all authority. And I love that. Does it end there? Number three says this, it's an uncommon miracle, it's an unclean ethnicity, an unlikely faith. I mean, the centurion, having faith more than that of anyone in Israel, what an unlikely faith. 
And then it's an uncommon miracle. It's kind of interesting because got all this stuff in the middle. Remember, so it says that Jesus talks to, his, to the people with him. So he's not talking. The centurion's sitting there, kneeling down, ready for prayer. Jesus is like, hold on a second. I've got to tell him something. You guys get this, right? And so he kind of communicates to them. And then to the centurion, now he turns back and says, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. If you read this passage, right, this passage multiple times, what you'll notice is the healing's like, sure, okay. I mean, kind of, yeah, of course I can do that. It's the teaching in the middle that is so striking. So really, it's just an uncommon miracle because Jesus is like, oh, well, okay, yeah, I'll do it. It's an uncommon miracle, not because Jesus didn't do miracles, but because the miracle took place here with a centurion who's a Gentile and a Roman and an occupying power. So Jesus heals the servant by his word alone without seeing him or touching him. This too is an amazing miracle. Jesus demonstrated that the faith of the centurion was well placed. He demonstrated his authority over sickness to clearly prove his authority over the world. I love the fact that Jesus is in charge. Remember a phrase we used not that long ago, have confidence in providence. Because in doing so, we understand that Jesus has all authority, and he indeed calls us to have great faith in him because he has all authority. I recognize that the beginning of that sentence and the end of that sentence say the same thing. But you got to get it because this Gospel of Matthew and this point in the Gospel of Matthew is teaching us about the authority. Because why? Well, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. A beautiful picture of us being called up with him. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom, of, kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to, to be destroyed is death. Now, it's an interesting phrase. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It's an interesting phrase because you would think if he's reigning, then how come his enemies aren't already under his feet? Because we're in the middle of a time where the kingdom of God has come. That's the message that Jesus has taught kingdom living in the Sermon on the Mount. So the kingdom has come, but the battle's not done. Now, Jesus has done his, his work. It is finished, he said. He's made us citizens of the kingdom. Now we're living out that kingdom reality right here. And how do we respond? But by having faith in him because he has all authority. I, um, I do a tour um, the Billy Graham Center where I, where I serve. I, I'm the, director, the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton. And this week I was spending a day consulting, um, coaching the Awana executive, national, the global leadership of Awana. Such wonderful people. We have, we have wonderful historic and current connections with Awana here at our church. And, and uh, it was sort of fun because I was going to give them the museum tour. I went over to show them, you know, the, we have this thing called the Wade Center where, where C.S. Lewis's uh, desk is and the wardrobe that he looked at when he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and we were just casually walking over there, and there's C.S. Lewis's stepson just casually standing by the wardrobe. And we're kind of like, yeah, this happens all the time. We just went with it and took pictures. And 
But I give them the Billy Graham Center tour, which is a tour that includes a section on Billy Graham's life. And there's this one corner of it, and I won't give you too much time, but just, it just so quickly goes through because it's, you know, he's the first, I'm just in my head right now, I'm at, the, I'm at the panels that tell these things. He's the first full-time employee of Youth for Christ. The second thing is he's the youngest college president, in the Christian college president in history. And then the third thing is he forms a team. And then there's the Modesto Manifesto. And, and then it comes to this thing, something about a stump. Let me tell you about the stump. Because what happened was, is that Mr. Graham, that's what we call him in the organization, he went to this place called Forest Home, and he was discouraged. He just had a crusade in a place called Altoona, Pennsylvania. It was called a flop. He said it was a flop, his words. He went to Forest Home. He was discouraged, right? One of his good friends, a guy named Charles Templeton, had walked away from the faith and quit believing and having faith in the authority of the Bible. I mean, Templeton was one of the most famous evangelists of his day. Actually, there were a list of famous, influential kind of Christian leaders. Billy Graham wasn't on it. Templeton was. But then Templeton sort of loses his faith, right? So he says to, he says to Billy, it's, it's not true. It's, you, I mean, you, you got to look at these things. And so he does. He begins to study these things. And he's at Forest Home, and he goes out one night, and he takes his Bible with him, and he, he finds a tree stump, and he sort of puts his Bible right there on the tree stump, and he, he's praying, he's wrestling. He didn't just, just, just accept it by faith at that moment. He had done research, he had looked into it, and here's what he said, right? He's at this tree stump. He writes later, he says this. He says, oh God. Now, he's, got, he's about to say a prayer to God. Now, let me tell you that as I go down that wall of the exhibits, with Billy Graham, the one next to it is actually the tent. Now, the tent is called the tent because it's the most famous place where Billy Graham preached. It's the Los Angeles Crusade. And it's the Los Angeles Crusade that propels Billy Graham to global uh, fame, I guess. I mean, he's famous for trying to make somebody else famous, but nevertheless, he was famous. And so the tent is right next door there at the museum, and next to it is a pulpit that everyone takes pictures in, but I'm trying to keep him at the stump and not get him to the tent quite yet. The tent is so significant. When Pastor Lutzer and I went to the funeral in Charlotte just a few months ago, it was actually a reproduction. You can actually see, actually one of the major news networks uh, was streaming and, and, and talked to Pastor Lutzer, and he went through and gave him lots of time, and you might even find that online. But, but the tent is a reproduction of that tent. That tent is when God used Billy Graham. A guy named William Randolph Hearst owned a bunch of newspapers. He sent out a telegram to all of his newspapers. Nobody knows why. He never told anybody why. He just said two words, Puff Graham, and every newspaper owned by Hearst, and soon others began to tell the story of this young evangelist. If you go around the museum, because right there, right past that tent comes this, this pulpit, an actual pulpit that he used at a crusade, and all around are just videos and millions. There's one gathering over here in Korea, over a million people come, and there's preaching to an integrated audience in South Africa, and, and there's gifts from presidents and kings and all this sort of stuff, and everyone wants to get over to there to see how God used Mr. Graham. And I said, you got to stop here. And every time I come to this place in the tour, and I tell them about the stump, where Billy Graham cried out his words, Oh God, there are many things in this book that I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are seeming contradictions. There are some areas that don't seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck and others are raising. That's the one who left the face, Chuck Templeton. And then he does this, right? He goes to his knees and he says, he says, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. 
I'm going to, to, I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And I don't want you to miss this, right? Because at this point, right? And I got to tell you, I, I, it's very hard for me to tell this story because everybody wants to see God work in miraculous and powerful ways. Everybody wants to see the life change, their life changed, and other lives change. But at the end of the day, you can't get to the tent till you go past the stump. And to say, God, I'm going to trust you. See, Jesus has all authority. And he calls us to have great faith in him because he has all authority. So for me, I have to ask myself questions, right? How do I respond by faith and in humility because Jesus has all authority? By faith and in humility because Jesus has all authority. My question for you is how do you respond to this? See, Matthew put these things together to show that an unlikely person, right, someone like a centurion, uh, a Roman occupier, and a Gentile could display great faith because he understood that Jesus had all authority. The book of Matthew begins with the devil saying, worship me, saying, I've got the authority. It ends with Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. And popping up in the middle of the book of Matthew is a centurion who says, you don't even need to come to my house. You have so much authority. Just say it and it's done. And my question for you is, where are you resting your faith in? In the authority of Jesus? Or, 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 in the, or in the idea that you can do it on your own, or you can make it on your own journey, or you're, or you're smart enough, or you're good enough, right? And, but the reality is, is these passages are here to remind us, these Jesus to the outcast, to the leper, to the centurion, and to the, to the woman, the mother-in-law, we'll see next week. So my, my question for you is, what is it that the Father is calling on you to have great faith to trust Jesus in? It's a simple end of the sermon. What is it that the Father is calling you to have great faith in Jesus to believe? Now, again, I'm not saying I have faith in faith. I'm not talking you manifest in anything. I'm talking about you trust in Jesus in the midst of some of the challenges. And I don't know what it is for you. As a parent, sometimes it's been, it's been a hard time sometimes for us. We trust Jesus in the midst because he has all authority. So have you believed and had that great faith in him, not faith in faith, not something you muster up so you can manifest something, but can you have great faith that he has ultimate authority over your life? Maybe it's a financial situation or a difficulty. You're like, Lord, what can I do in the midst of this? Start by trusting Jesus. Maybe it's your marriage. What do I do? Start by trusting Jesus, right? He has all authority, calls us to have great faith in him because he has all authority. It starts by trusting Jesus. And Matthew, in this beautiful record of this centurion who says, Lord, I just trust you that much. You don't even have to come to the house. Can you trust Jesus with that kind of faith today? Just stand together. Would you stand with me? Let's just bow our heads. Let's respond to him. I don't know what God's saying or how God's speaking in your life. But, you know, he, he has no rival. He has no equal. 
King Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And if that's true, if he has no rival and he has no equal, then you can put your faith in him. You can have great faith, not because you're great, but because he's great. Would you bow with me and let's pray that today? Father, we acknowledge today that you indeed are the King of kings. You're the Lord of all the universe, Father. Jesus, we acknowledge today that we can have great faith, not because we've mustered it up, but because you have come. And as Ruth has shared, it's by grace and through faith that we have been saved, rescued from our inability, put in a relationship with you that still calls us to cry out in faith and say, Lord, I believe you. So what is it today for you? Just with your head bowed, your eyes closed here. Is there a circumstance, a situation, or a person? Is there something going on that you needed this reminder today? I bet there are literally hundreds, hundreds, maybe thousands of people watching, worshiping with us here in this congregation or worshiping with us online. And each one saying in some way, I needed this for this. Well, can I just tell you, that's why Matthew put this here. So we might know that Jesus has all authority. And we're called to have great faith because Jesus has all authority. This is a wonderful name. What a wonderful name it is. He has no rival. He has no equal. As we close at our service, let's not get distracted. Let's focus in and give worship to the Jesus who has all authority. In his name is all rule. In his name is all power. There is no rival. There is no equal. We give you glory, Jesus. Let's sing it to him today.